0: There's something incredibly breathtaking about standing on the beach and looking out at the ocean. The ocean is big. It's vast. It's beautiful. It's also really humbling. Because when you stand out on the beach and you see the sea stretch really from sky to sky and as far back as you can possibly see, you start to realize how small you are but it's also something that's deeply horrifying the water's scary business there's a lot that we don't know about the ocean michael and sanjia and i were talking tuesday night about all the things that live in the water that can kill you and come up very close to you in the water no matter how deep the water is they can find you and devour you and that's deeply disturbing and we don't know about all the things that are there and that makes me uncomfortable. But also it's just really deep. You know what I mean? Like the water is very deep and that makes me uncomfortable. But I really do think what makes me the most uncomfortable about the water is just how broad it is. And I realize this, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna entrust you, my church family, with something that I've learned about myself over the past couple weeks. I am apparently deeply afraid of being lost at sea because we were watching a TV show about a week and a half ago and the main characters, I think, fell asleep at the controls of this boat. They didn't really know how to navigate and they drifted way away from the shore and couldn't see it anymore and they didn't know how to make their way back and I felt, not full on, but somewhere deep inside of me, something was panicking, thinking that can never happen to me ever that could never happen I don't know how I mean I know how to prevent it so I I think at this point I'm never getting on a boat in the ocean ever again so that that never happens but if it did I don't know what becomes of me in that situation because I feel like deep uncontrollable panic will ensue because there's something really horrifying about being out there with no way to find yourself back home But I don't think I'm alone in having at least some apprehension or fear when it comes to the sea. There's always been something intriguing. There's always been something mysterious and even scary about water, and the biblical story is no exception. Today, we're going to talk about the theme of deliverance. If you haven't been here through this series or this is your first time with us today, we have been looking not at one specific passage. And Ordinarily, we would go through one book or one cluster of Scripture and break it down verse by verse. But over the past seven weeks, we've been looking at the big story of the Old Testament. And we've been looking at some of the themes and the motifs that come up over and over again throughout the Old Testament that help us understand how to read it, but also help us to understand who God is What that teaches us about humanity and then how that lays the foundation for what Jesus does inside of the New Testament, bringing salvation into the world. And so today we're going to look at the theme of deliverance, but that is a really broad, important thing inside of the Old Testament and the new. And so we could spend hours and hours and hours looking at all the stories of when God delivered his people from something. And so today we're going to get very, very specific with this idea of deliverance. And we're going to look at the times when God delivered his people either through or from water. And what's amazing is this happens maybe far more times than we actually recognize. And I think there's something very important about the symbolism of water inside the Old Testament and the fact that God uses that over and over again to bring deliverance to his people or delivers them out from the dangers and the peril of the sea. And so the first half of today's sermon is probably going to be like drinking from a fire hose a little bit. And that's funny because we're talking about water and I'm always up for a good pun. And so we'll have a lot of information coming at you really fast and there'll be a lot of reading. And so bear with me through this introduction as we kind of lay the foundation for the symbolism of water in the Old Testament. But then we're going to follow that story and we're actually going to spend some time in the New Testament today, which we haven't done as much in previous weeks. We've tried to just stick to the Old Testament narrative, but I think it's important to see how God has continued this theme of deliverance through water into the New Testament and then ultimately to the finale of God's big story in the book of Revelation. But we're going to look at a lot of passages of Scripture this morning and so I'd like to read to you from Second Samuel chapter 22, 1 through5, and just to hear a little bit of how the language of the sea is used. In fact, I think I might read through verse six. And so from Second Samuel chapter 22, it says, "And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song, and on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, "The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer." My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold and my refuge. My Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and am saved from my enemies. For the waves of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of shield entangled me. And the snares of death confronted me may God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word thanks be to God for his word father God we thank you for your word and we thank you that you are indeed our deliverer and our rock and our fortress and our stronghold and all of those beautiful words that David used as you delivered him from his enemies God I thank you that you know that there are things that cause us fear There are things that cause us uncertainty. God, even things that put us in danger. We've got to thank You that none of those things cause You fear or uncertainty. But You are a God who can deliver from anything that comes against Your people. And so today as we look at some of the things that the Old Testament has to say about deliverance, specifically through this this picture of water. God, help us to remember who You are and Your power and Your strength. God, teach us how to, to use this information to read Your Word more faithfully. And God, of course, we just ask that You use the beauty of these pictures in the Old Testament to point us directly to Christ. Not simply in his death and resurrection, but also in the promise that he will come again to make all things right and all things new to bring about a final deliverance once and for all. So speak to us through your word. We ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen. So I want to do a very as briefly as possible survey of some major passages in scripture that help us to understand how the Old Testament uses this imagery of water. And so one of the things that we see is that the Old Testament describes water as an enemy or often as a symbol for the enemies of God's people. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 22, continuing from where David was, and this is also quoted in the book of Psalms chapter 18 verses 16 and 17, But 2 Samuel says in verse 16, Then the channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were laid bare. At the rebuke of the Lord, at the blast of the breath of His nostrils, He sent from on high. He took me and He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. And so David says that my enemies were like these rushing waters. It was an uncontrollable force, and I didn't have the strength to handle it. I wasn't able to put the water back where it was supposed to go, and if it was up to me, then I would be swallowed whole by these waters. But he says that God intervened for him. And another thing that we're going to notice, and you'll see this as we go along, but oftentimes when God brings deliverance from the waters, he does so with his breath. And David says, so the Lord breathed this blast out of his nostrils and separated his enemies away and drew me out of the many waters. He drew me out of danger and out of peril and into safety. In Psalm 124, 1-6, one through six, another Psalm of David. David says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. And the torrent would have gone over us. And then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. Psalm 144.7 says, stretch out your hand from on high, rescue me and deliver me from many waters from the hand of foreigners or from the hand of my enemies. Isaiah 8.7 says, therefore, behold, the Lord is bringing up against them. This time, God using the enemies of the people of God against his own people, saying the Lord is bringing up against them waters of the river, mighty and many, the king of Assyria in all his glory and it will rise over all its channels and go over all its banks. Isaiah is telling the people of God that because of their sin and because of how far they've fallen, that God is raising up the people of Assyria like waters rushing out of their banks to overflow and take the people over. Jeremiah 47.2 Thus says the Lord, Behold, waters are rising out of the north and shall come and become an overflowing torrent. They shall overflow the land and all that fills it, the city and those who dwell in it, and men shall cry out and every inhabitant of the land shall wail. And So those passages paint us a picture that the Old Testament uses this imagery of water and the sea to describe an enemy that's too strong for God's people to prevail against. An enemy that requires divine intervention to be taken over because it's an uncontrollable force and the people of God can't stand against it. The Old Testament also refers to the sea as something to be feared. And oftentimes, it is a symbol for death itself. Psalm 32.6 says, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at the time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach Him. From Psalm 69, verses 1 and 2, and then 14 and 15, the Psalm of David says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold, and I have come into deep waters and the floods sweep over me. Deliver me from sinking in the mire and let me be delivered from my enemies and from deep waters and let not the flood sweep over me or the deep swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Isaiah in, verse, in chapter 43, verse 2. says, When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. Book of Lamentations. Chapter three, verse 52 through 55 says, I have been hunted like a bird by those who are my enemies without cause. They have flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. And then verse 54 says water closed over my head. And I said, I am lost. The book of Jonah paints this picture very well. In Jonah chapter two, as we see this psalm of Jonah coming from the belly of the fish at the bottom of the sea, it says, Jonah prayed out to the Lord and this is what he said. I cried out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight yet I shall again look upon Your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life, and the deep surrounded me, and weeds were wrapped around my head, and at the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And so in these poetic texts, we see oftentimes this idea of water being directly tied into death because much like the enemies of God, death seemed like a very uncontrollable, unstoppable force. And so David and Jonah and all of these people were saying that death is something that they couldn't escape from and it required God's intervention to reach down and to pull them out of the depths. But then also we see water in the form of deliverance, oftentimes portrayed as a cleansing force. Isaiah, in chapter 12, verses 1-3, through 3, says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to You, Lord, for though You were angry with me, Your anger turned away that You might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation, and I will trust and I will not be afraid, for the Lord is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah 55, 1-2 says, Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. In Ezekiel 36, verse 25, Ezekiel says the words of God and he says that I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. So we can see that water is a really important element inside of the Old Testament. Sometimes representing enemies, sometimes representing something to be feared or death, sometimes representing God's deliverance or a cleansing force, but it's something that really can't be ignored. But not only do we see it in places like the Psalms and the prophets where it's very symbolically portrayed, but we see several places in the narrative of the Old Testament that show us exactly how important this idea of water is in God's big stories. And so I want to look at it's a few passages, a few stories, in fact, that we've already talked about actually, I think over the past three weeks, we've talked about all of these stories. And so I don't want to go in and tell the story over and over again, because that could have us here for a while. And so if you haven't been here the past couple weeks, you can go to our website, redeeminggracecc.com or anywhere that you listen to podcasts, you can find our sermons and you can hear some of these stories or better yet, you can go back and find them and read these stories in their context inside of scripture. But I want to just run over some of these stories where we see God performing an act of deliverance through water. But before we do that, I want to make two statements that I think are important that can help us understand how these stories work in the light of God's big story. The first thing is that when we see God deliver his people, especially when it comes in and through water, he doesn't simply deliver them out of something bad or dangerous, but he delivers them in to something new and something good. And so God doesn't simply rescue his people out of their negative situations or out of their sin or out of their danger, out of their brokenness. God rescues them out of that and then he brings them into something new. And so deliverance is more than just a temporal salvation, but it's actually God making a transformation in the life of his people. But I think it's also important for us to notice that when we see God delivering, especially through water, we can view that deliverance as a form of creation, or better yet, a form of recreation. An Old Testament prophet put it this way, or an Old Testament scholar, excuse me, put it this way, that Yahweh the creator is also Yahweh the deliverer. And when he delivers his people, it is an act of creating them anew. And so we don't simply see God change the people's Place We don't simply see God change their circumstances, but God changes something significant about the identity of his people when he delivers them, especially when it comes through water. And so with that foundation laid, let's let's run through some of these stories. It starts in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. And as we've seen in Genesis chapter 1, when we see this picture of God creating, it says in the very beginning, the earth was dark and it was formless and it was empty and it was covered by water and the spirit of God or the breath of God was hovering over the waters and he was keeping it all in place. He was controlling the chaos. And then we see God start to speak again, this emphasis on the breath of God and God begins to speak and that formless earth begins to come into shape. And it says that he separated the sky from the sea, the water from the waters, and he separated the waters and pulled out the land. And we see in the story of creation, in this beautiful song of creation in Genesis chapter one, God pulling order from the chaos of the sea. We see here that God delivers the world from chaos into creation. That he is creating the world out of the wild, seemingly uncontrollable, all engulfing, see. And this very act of creation in Genesis chapter one is a foreshadowing of God's big story. Because not only do we see a God who has the power to create something from nothing, but we see a God who controls the chaos. The most unstoppable force in all of the world is something that God can control just with the power of his voice. And we see God take from empty waters and bring about new life. The creation story is the architect of God, archetype of God's deliverance. That he brings about something new out of something seemingly uncontrollable and chaotic. We see that happen again in the book of Genesis in chapters 6 through 8 when we see the story of Noah. And I want to read a small passage from that in Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with Him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain of the heavens restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of a 150 days, the waters were abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. And in the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And again, here we have this picture of the breath of God pulling back the waters to bring order out of the chaos. We see God rolling back the waters to bring about deliverance for Noah and for his family and all the creatures on the ark with him. But this time, This deliverance wasn't from an impersonal force like the waters at creation, but this deliverance came from God's own judgment. And in the Noah story, we recognize that God is both judge and deliverer, that when things had gotten out of control and the violence had grown so thick in the world that God decided he was going to start all over, that was his prerogative to do as a just judge who wanted to see righteousness go forth in the world that he created. But he also has the heart filled with compassion, the heart of a deliverer and a savior. And so in the Noah story, we see uncreation. We see God taking the earth back to its original state and bringing about cleansing. But we also see God delivering Noah and even the earth from violence to a fresh start. And we are reminded in that story, just like we are in the creation story, That God's plan for deliverance isn't simply for people, but He has a plan of deliverance for all of creation. That in God's economy, matter matters. And God is restoring everything. And as we're going to see later on, that when Christ comes back to make everything right and everything new, it happens from the ground up. And Paul tells us that even the earth is longing for Christ to come back and bring restoration and to bring deliverance. And we see a small picture of that in the story of Noah. Maybe the most famous deliverance story in the Old Testament is the story of the Exodus. When God takes His people out of 400 years of captivity and starts leading them towards the promised land. And we know the drama and the intrigue of that story is God rescues the people out of Egypt and they start heading towards the land and they're finally free after generations of generations of slavery. They have been liberated and as they run away, they find themselves face to face with something possibly more fearsome than all the armies of Egypt as they stand in front of the Red Sea and there's nowhere for them to go. And the story tells us that that Pharaoh and his armies are pressing down on the people and there's simply no time for them to go around or go over. And so at the call of God, Moses stands before the waters and God parts the seas. And the people of God walk across on dry ground. God spreads open the waters and delivers his people from oppression and slavery. And on the other side of the waters, they found safety, life, hope. And they found identity. We see in the Red Sea story, God taking his people from oppression into freedom. He takes them from being slaves to being children. And what we see there is God not simply delivering the people, but creating something new. He gave them an identity and made them a people and called them his children. And through that, created a nation. A generation later, the people of God find another body of water to cross as they come to the Jordan River. This last barrier between God's people who have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and the land of promise that they've been looking for for 400. And again, this time through Joshua, God parts the waters and the people follow the presence of God across the Jordan River on dry ground into Canaan. And through these waters, God delivers his new people out of wondering and into promise. Through the waters of the Jordan, he creates for his people a new life and allows them to take hold of the hope that they had longed for for so long. Again, God is not only delivering them from wandering, but he is creating something new for them and giving them a land and a hope and giving their identity a foundation to rest in. We can talk about the story of Jonah and all the water in Jonah as he tries to get on a boat and head to Tarshish and we see the storm come and the waves crash and Jonah has to be thrown overboard to save the lives of the sailors. And of course, we see the fish swallow Jonah and spit him back up and give him a chance for redemption and to go back and to do what God had called him to do. And through the waters in the story of Jonah, we see God bring salvation to the sailors. We see God bring cleansing and repentance to Jonah, even if it's very temporary. He took a wayward prophet and from the waters, he created hope for an entire pagan city to bring about deliverance from their sins. And so all through the Old Testament, the waters are reminding us that we're in danger. The waters are reminders of our sin and our brokenness. They're reminders that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, that things are incomplete, and that God is still working. But they also remind us of a God who not only creates through water in Genesis chapter 1, but a God who delivers, a God who controls the chaos and uses it to bring forth life and salvation. And all of the waters. In the Old Testament, lay the foundation for something to take place in the New. Because early on in the New Testament, we find a voice crying in the wilderness. And there's a man named John, and he's not calling God's people out of the wilderness like Moses and Joshua, but John stands and he calls the people back into the wilderness, and he says, repent and be baptized. He's calling people into the water as this representation of the repentance of their sin and the cleansing that God can offer. And one day, a man named Jesus walks up to John and he tells him he wants to be baptized. But John knows who Jesus is. John is the one that's laying the foundation for Jesus to come and do what he's going to do. And he says, there's no way I should bury, baptize you. And Jesus says, yeah, this is what we're doing. And so we see the baptism of Jesus. And as Jesus came up out of the waters, it wasn't for His deliverance, but it was for ours. And that began Jesus' ministry as He went out teaching about the Kingdom of God and healing and bringing restoration and setting captives free and laying the foundation of what He was going to do and showing us what it looks like when God is King on earth. And then He goes into Jerusalem. He's crucified and died, and three days later raises from the dead. And he left us with things to, to touch and to feel and remember. and we're going to participate in one of those today in communion. and the other he left us with was baptism. The same waters that Jesus Himself went through, He calls all of us to go through that when we trust in Christ, our act of obedience, the seal of our covenant, is to go into the waters of baptism. And we see the symbol of all the waters in the Old Testament find a lot of their fulfillment in the waters of baptism. In baptism, we're reminded of the cleansing of sin. That when we go into the waters, we go in as people who are dirty and polluted because of our sin and as this physical representation and a reminder of the fact that when we trust in Christ for salvation, that by His blood and by His grace and mercy, all of our shame and all of our guilt and all of our brokenness and all of our dirt and filth are washed away and left behind and we come out clean. We're reminded of our deliverance from judgment. That because of our sin, we deserve death and hell and brokenness. And yet Christ endured all of that on our behalf. And when we come out of the waters of baptism, we are reminded, just like the people of Israel as they walked across the Red Sea, that God is taking us out of something and we don't have to look back that we don't have to fear, that we don't have to wrestle with the possibility of God's judgment because Jesus took that on Himself for us so that we could be free and that we could be delivered. Baptism reminds us that we pass from death to life. Paul says that when we go through the waters of baptism, that we are buried with Christ in baptism and raised again to new life. Again, God taking something chaotic like our lives that are immersed in sin and brokenness, taking something that's empty and dark and formless because of what we've done. And we're studying that in the book of Ephesians. Paul draws that line between who we were and who we are in Christ. And he says those two things are radically different. And so God takes our chaos and our brokenness and He lays us down in the water and He brings us out and we are new and we're saved and we're reminded that we have been made alive in Christ. Baptism also reminds us that we are a new creation. Just like God separated the waters in Genesis chapter 1 and pulled land and life out of the waters, when we break through the waters of baptism, we are reminded that who we used to be is dead and gone and buried, and God is bringing about new creation and new life. And so when we look in the mirror, we may look the same, but when God sees us, we are completely changed by the grace and the mercy and the salvation and the deliverance of Jesus. Paul says the old has passed and the new has come. That God doesn't just deliver us out of something. He doesn't just deliver us out of sin and shame and brokenness, but he delivers us into new life and into a new hope and the promise of eternity. In baptism, God again parts the waters to bring about new creation. He breathes life into his people. It gives us a new identity, creating something beautiful out of chaos and something eternal out of what was once temporal. But baptism isn't the end, but it's only the beginning. Because the reality is that we still have C's. We still have the raging waters in our lives. We're still surrounded sometimes by enemies from the outside, sometimes the enemy that lives inside of us, that we still have this wrestling and this brokenness when it comes to our own sin. And we know that we are still in need of some kind of deliverance. That even though when we trust in Christ, we're new, there's still something inside of us fighting to make us old again. But just like the waters of the Old Testament were designed to point us towards something better, the waters of baptism not only remind us of what Christ has done, but they point to what Christ will do. They not only point to the deliverance that Jesus offered in his death and resurrection, but they point us forward to the deliverance that Jesus will one day bring that will be once and for all. And that comes in the book of Revelation. Chapter 21, when this this has been part of our confession of faith every single week for the past Six weeks, and we'll do it again today. But in Revelation 21, John says this, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor cry nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. John gets this vision. Of a world when Christ comes back to make everything new where there'll be no more tears, there'll be no more death, there'll be no more sickness, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more sin, and he says that there will be no more sea. This final moment where God puts this beautiful imagery in the book of Revelation where John looks around and he says all of those things that caused us fear, all those things that caused us brokenness, all those things that caused us guilt and shame, the sea that was unknown and mysterious and horrifying to us, it's not going to be there in God's new creation because all of those things will have passed away. In God's perfect world, there are no more enemies. There's no more fear. There's no more death. And there's no more need for deliverance. This is God's final act of deliverance. That through Christ, who John calls the river of life, God takes us through that river, through the salvation that Jesus offered through His death and resurrection, and He leads us to a place where there is no more sea. God's entire story And all this imagery of the water leading us to this one point when God says all of that stuff, all of that brokenness, one day will be gone. And that's good news. And the Bible says that anyone who trusts in Christ for salvation, if we believe that story, that we can be saved, that we can be delivered, that we can be brought through the waters to life on the other side. And so if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ before and you want to know more about what that means and what that looks like, then please talk with me about that at any point in time, whether it's after the service or through the week. You can talk with Pastor Adam at any point in time about what it means to trust in Christ for salvation and to find this hope and this deliverance. If you've never been through the waters of baptism, if you've never been baptized, I say this all the time, I love baptizing people. And so I would be very excited to do that and to be a part of that. And so if you need to be baptized, come and talk with me about that so we can set that up and our church, can celebrate the deliverance that God has worked inside of you. If you trust in Christ for salvation, you've been through the waters of baptism, then hold fast to that baptism remember as the seas rage and the waves crash in our lives that God has brought you through the waters and on the other side there is hope and there is life and there is new identity and that one day Christ will come to make all things right and all things new and the same waters that washed away your sin will be the waters that lead us directly into a world that is perfect, made by God for his children where we will be with him for all of eternity and he will be our God and we will be his people and nothing will ever change that because He is a God who delivers.